0: hey everyone welcome to another episode of in the ring with acacia courtney i'm sorry that this week's episode is a little bit delayed been a bit backed up this week but that's just how it goes because we are on the cusp of the Kentucky Derby back in the calendar where it belongs, that buzz of Kentucky Derby week. You can really feel it, and it's so exciting. Not just the Kentucky Derby and the Kentucky Oaks, but all of the undercard races as well. Great week of racing and a great time of year as we get ready to kick off the Triple Crown. I'll have another show coming out later this week that's just dedicated to Kentucky Derby and Kentucky Oaks. Today, I'm going to be talking to a couple of owners, uh, both of whom started out in syndicates, owning small shares and getting involved in racing in that way. And then ended up going out on their own. One of whom now has a big runner in one of the undercard stakes coming up on Kentucky Oaks day. So I hope that you enjoy. I'm looking forward to all of this great racing. We had another two-year-old sale with the OBS April two-year-old and training sale this past week. Also some sales in Europe, uh, horses of racing age sale at Keeneland coming up next week. It's just a crazy time of year. And I'm going to try to cover it as much as possible on in the ring with acacia courtney so let's get right to it hope you enjoy this week's episode very pleased to welcome in now my friend steven rocco an owner been active at some of the sales recently and steve thanks so much for joining me today i'm i'm looking forward to getting a chance to kind of share your horse racing story this afternoon
1: thank you for having me acacia really excited to be here today
0: Now, you started out um, your horse racing journey as an owner with being involved in in syndicates, I think a path that a lot of people have taken, being involved with Eclipse Thoroughbred Partners and Team Valor. Tell me a little bit about um, what those experiences in being part of a syndicate really taught you as you got involved in the world of horse racing.
1: Sure. So I started out in syndicates in in 2015, first with Team Valor and and Barry Irwin, then, then Eclipse. And I think they, they have different, you know, different models. When you look at Team Valor, it's more focused on, on Europe and, and you know, kind of carries over to, to what I'm doing today uh, with the European market and European bloodstock. Obviously, Barry won the Kentucky Derby with Animal Kingdom. That was before my time, but I certainly learned a lot um, from being part and still am a part of, of Team Valor. Eclipse is a little bit more traditional, you know, buying buying in, in Keen, at Keeneland auction and two-year-old and training sales, you know, private purchases, mostly mostly U.S. focused. And I've gotten to know the Eclipse folks along the way, really great people. They had a lot of success last year. I think they won four, four grade ones, and I was a part of one with a horse named Valiance. Mm. So really a, a great way for a new owner to learn. Um, and to understand the business at, at lower stakes, and I've certainly made my share of mistakes along the way, but I've definitely learned a lot from being part of syndicates.
0: And what was it about horse racing that really first attracted you and made you want to be part of it in an ownership capacity?
1: Well, um, when I was growing up, I spent a lot of time upstate in Saratoga Springs, um, which is a, a wonderful town, as you know. Um, and I and I went to the track every single summer. And with my family, and it kind of carries over today, I have two young, two young sons and, and my wife, and, and we spend a lot of time in the summer in Saratoga. And I really caught the bug just uh, being upstate and uh, enjoying my time at the racetrack there.
0: And as you said, getting involved in a syndicate, I feel like it's is appealing for many people because it is a little bit of a lesser risk. It, it can be, I think, very intimidating when you're first getting involved in the industry. What were kind of some of those first steps that you took and saying, okay, I, I'd really like to be part of this?
1: Well, you know, when I was starting out, I really knew nothing um, and I realized that. So it's kind of kind of, just kind of taking that that first step was really the important one to get in the game and to take some risks. I find that's the way... That's the way you ultimately learn and I always asked a lot of questions along the way. you know with team Valor it started out it started out in, in Europe. my first purchase was a, was a European horse um, and I really enjoy I really enjoy European racing. Um, so jurisdiction doesn't matter as much for me um, and I got to learn a lot about kind of the, the breeding there and the racing there um, and then really learning and studying and studying pedigrees. Um, so I spent a lot of time kind of consuming all the information that's out there in, on the pedigree side. So if you fast forward to today, um, I, 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 know a little bit, you know, no, no enough to be dangerous kind of on the, on the pedigree side. And, and I know what I like and I know what I, what I don't like. And I'm, you know, now kind of transitioning over, learning a bit of, little bit more about kind of the physical aspects when evaluating a horse and certainly in, in associating myself with really, really good people, both from a syndicate basis, from a bloodstock basis who can, who can help me kind of learn along the way, because there's so much, so much to learn kind of about the business, especially when you, when you step out on your own away from syndicates, kind of how the billing works and the silks and all that, like that's something I've, I still struggle with actually, if I was being Mm -hmm. frank to kind of understand it all and kind of put it all together. But the syndicates kind of neatly package it for you um, and, and, and deliver a great, great experience and introduce you to a lot of people, a lot of trainers. So you kind of, when you're ready to take that next step, you know, where you want to go.
0: You mentioned a Philly by the name of Valiance, who became a grade one winner this past year. What is it like being part of a syndicate and celebrating with the whole crowd and obviously a unique year with COVID-19 in 2021, but just being a part of a grade one winner? That has to be incredibly special.
1: You know, it really was. Um, I was watching it actually on a soccer field on my phone, <laughs> given that, you know, it was a pandemic. And so it's unfortunate that we, you know, couldn't couldn't celebrate that way. But just the kind of the excitement leading up to it, um, to, to have, have a horse like that, um, who's very well bred. She's out of a, a grade one winner, who's out of another grade one winner, a tap at Philly, um, who I think is actually quite underrated, um, but really, really, really exciting um, to be a part of it and to share it with other people. And that's really what it's about, kind of meeting, meet, making new friendships and meeting people. And, um, and that's really what I enjoy about horse racing. The, the racing itself is certainly nerve wracking,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: the, uh, sharing it with friends is, is really kind of the best experience.
0: You yep. mentioned your love of pedigrees, and I, I'm definitely a pedigree nerd as well. I love looking back through the generations and especially when you've got a field of two-year-olds at Saratoga or a maiden special weight turf runners in January at Gulfstream, something like that. I just think, I just find it so fascinating. Um, what are, I, I guess, some of the biggest takeaways that you've gotten from studying pedigrees and what are some of the things that you enjoy mostly about it?
1: Well, you know, you know at my level, like it's going to be harder – for me to do the obvious, right. It's going to be harder for me to on my own buy and into mischief, Mm -hmm. right. That's going to be really difficult, but I certainly am a numbers person and I look at statistics and I look at kind of percentage of black type horses. And really I'm looking for those more kind of underrated sires um, that are more up and coming at a, at a lower price point um, that, that when paired with a, with a physical um, can make for an attractive proposition. Obviously no, no guarantee um, when you kind of put it all together, but I think it certainly gives me a better shot at, at my level for, you know, having success. So I, I, you know, I look for those kind of more, you know, more underrated sires. Um, and uh, I think hopefully we can, you know, we can find some along the way. And then with the bloodstock agents that I have, you know, working for me, they can help me understand kind of the, the physical aspects of it. And that's kind of how we put it together.
0: And as you're starting to learn some of those physical attributes of what makes a great racehorse. And obviously, it's an inexact science, but there's people that have dedicated their lives to that in, in looking at the physicals. What are some of the biggest lessons you've learned there?
1: Well, um, you know, I'd say I, I use, you know, Joe Migliori, who's who's just getting started as a, as a bloodstock agent, and he, he knows every day. I ask him just a, a ton of questions about yes. it um, and kind of what you can and can't live with. Um, and certainly I know there are a lot of people that, that kind of look for, you know, perfect vetting, but the reality is not everything's going to be perfect. Some of the best horses had, you know, kind of vetting issues that go on to be great horses. And so it's really kind of what, what you can live it, live with from that side, you know, come from that side of it, you know, fillies, you know, some of the best fillies I've owned in syndicates have been really small fillies. Um, Mm -hmm. so I have no problem with, uh with a smaller filly and in cults, I think you, you may struggle with a smaller cult, but, but really, you know, away from kind of the pedigree and the physical, the one thing I've kind of learned along the way is kind of the mental, the mental attributes as well. Right. Which you really can't tell at a sale. Maybe you could, maybe you can't, I know with the two-year-old in training sales, um, you know, the horses go through a lot there, you know, during those sales um, to kind of work up to the breeze and how they respond after it is kind of key. And maybe you're looking for that, but, but at the end of the day, you know, I think that mental aspect is is really important beyond kind of the beyond kind of the the, the physical and the, the pedigree. Um, is just having a horse that that wants a run and wants a race and 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 does it and kind of does it the right way. Those are always the best ones.
0: Yeah, if you could find that perfect formula to find those, that would certainly make being successful in horse racing a lot easier. Um, speaking of Joe Migliori. Some uh, some action with him this past week at the OBS April two year old sale and and Joe's been on the show and of course he's the uh, friend of uh, best friend of my fiance Miguel Clement so poor Steve has Joe and Miguel uh, bothering him every few days and uh, and and dealing with them but uh, signed a ticket a frosted filly, hip 1033 for you and Rob Maciello. Um, tell me a little bit about this filly. Got a chance to see her as well. She is lovely, looks very fast and a very exciting prospect.
1: Yeah, she, she does. Um, you know, Joe, jo loved the horse and, you know, at the end of the day, I want to surround myself with, with really good people. Um, and, and Joe is a really good person. Um, you know, the Clements are really good trainers and they both love the horse. And that means that kind of means everything to me. Um, you know, I haven't met, I haven't met Rob yet, but I'm looking forward to meeting him. Um, I certainly heard heard about him and kind of a similar experience to mine, you know, first getting started in with syndicates. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, Frosted, you know, quietly, Frosted is the number one second crop sire. Um, I think you know he has every reason to be a, a very good sire out of Tappet. Um, you know, this filly Joe said was an absolute queen throughout the entire the entire sale. Um, really nice physical, really nice breeze. And uh, you know, I told I told Joe that morning, you know, let's let's go get her. Um, and we were able to we were able to get it done. So just really having the trust in, in Joe, um, who has a great eye for a horse, um, a, real, a real I think future future star in this business. And and of course with the Clements who who are just fantastic. And I think this will be an excellent fit in their program.
0: And she was hip ten thirty three. So towards the end of the sale, um, tell me a little bit about what it's like following along with a sale and 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 looking at horses hearing from your boots on the ground so to speak like joe um what's going on throughout the sale and then getting some uh, prospect that you really like towards the final i guess hours of the sale and having success that has to be a great feeling as she was of course later on um in that book
1: yeah, it, it was. I mean, you tend to also, you miss on a lot too, you know, as you go through this. Um, clearly you want you to do your homework, you want to do your due diligence, uh, you want to get the horses vetted um, and understand all that, but you're going to miss on a lot. And, you know, I always kind of follow the ones that we miss on too, just see how they go on, see what I can learn from that um, and, and kind of keep that for my records as well. But um yeah, it's it's uh you know it's nerve wracking when they enter the ring. Um and certainly this I'm I'm partnering with with Rob here. Rob will be the majority here and mm-hmm. you know, it's ultimately his his decision in the end. But I'm happy to be a part of it. You know, I'm happy to uh to you know come along with and and I think we hopefully have a filly that we can have some fun with uh, this summer and beyond.
0: I'm wishing you the best of luck with her and looking forward to getting a chance to see her on the racetrack soon. Is you also have another exciting filly that will be Joining the Clamont Barn, but that you purchased at Tattersall's and the Craven Breeze Up sale um, back in April by our dad, as she um, posted a lot of fireworks being a high price purchase for that freshman stallion. Our dad, tell me a little bit about that one and, and purchasing that horse overseas.
1: Sure. So, as I mentioned up front, you know, I, I really love European racing um, mm-hmm. and um, I have no problems kind of prospecting there. Um, and I have a really great Bloodstock agent, um, Charlie Gordon Watson, who, who was at that sale for me, the, the Craven sale. And we were looking for a horse that could, you know, c- come to the U.S. And I've heard of Ardott. It's a, a son, of, um, son of Kodiak who happens now to have five winners. He had another winner today. five winners in, in nine starts, which is just a fantastic start yeah. for any sire. I mean, they're supposed to be early, but so far so good. And, um, you know, she, she had a, a pretty good breeze, a really lovely filly, um, probably more of a, a middle distance type. And we we're very excited because her half brother um, won a big grade three uh, yesterday in Ireland. Um, and uh, now he's won a grade two and a grade three. And I think he's won six races in a row.
0: fantastic
1: um, And so he's a very highly rated horse that we can see later on in some of the kind of classic races in Europe. Um, so we now have the half sister there and, you know, she'll come to the U S and go into a great program with the Clements. And, and I think Miguel knows who our dad is now. He didn't know when I first said it, but how
0: about that? You, you have been teaching him something with your pedigree research.
1: Yeah, I hope so.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned your love of of European racing, and I think it's kind of been a theme that I've talked a little bit about on this show is the influence that we have been seeing over the past few years in particular of European bloodstock coming to the U.S. Obviously, there are trainers that, that have always done it. Of course, Christoph being European, I think, has a strong handle on that already. But I think we've really seen a lot more influence with horses being purchased at those European sales to come to the U.S. Is that something that you've really been taking note of as well?
1: I have. I have. And, you know, I think, you know, at, at my level, I think, you know, the, in, in, you know, there's a challenge in Europe with the prize money. I think, you know, the, the sales there have been just a little bit weaker, although they're accelerating here, I think, as we kind of move through the year and the economies get better. Um, but I think, you know, from a perspective of finding a really great turf horse and there's more and more turf racing in the U.S., there's no better place, place than Europe. Certainly need to look one that look for one that could withstand kind of the rigors of U.S. training um, on the dirt side, but but I think from, from our perspective, the turf program I see having a train you know trainers like Christoph and Miguel, um, I think there's no kind of no better fit for me, um, you know, than looking for that looking to Europe for for some of those some of those horses.
0: So you've been part of a Grade One winner last year, had some success in syndicates, and now some exciting prospects um, owning on your own outside of that that syndicate format. Um, what are you most looking forward to as far as your journey as an owner, and, and what are some things that you'd really like to do or be part of?
1: Well, I'm I'm hoping you know this this pandemic ends because I love you know kind of going <laughs> to the backside, um, and, and that's really my favorite part of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, is both kind of the friendships I've i made along the way, and then you know being there in the morning. Um, that's what I really enjoy. The racing aspect itself makes me a little nervous <laughs> kind on of a day of, um, especially if you know I'm on kind of on my own, and and uh, and that'll probably kind of raise the stakes a little bit. But you know I, I know you need a little luck, obviously, in this business, and you know hopefully, obviously, we did do our do our homework, um, and hope hope for some luck along the way. But I'm really looking forward to a great summer in Saratoga. Looking mm-hmm. forward to being there in the mornings. Um, and hopefully, uh, you know these these horses can can do something on the track that that generates excitement for us.
0: Do you remember your first win that you were a part of? What was that feeling like?
1: It was great. Um, I wasn't there. Um, oh no! <laughs> one of the one of the themes one of the themes for me is you know I have a, I have a young family. It's hard for me to, mm-hmm. to always be there, um, and I haven't been in the winter circle in quite some time, even though we've. We want to want a fair share through the syndicates, um, but family always comes first. Um, but but you know, I, I that's why the jurisdiction itself doesn't really matter all that much. Of course, Saratoga is nice, but I, I watch it on TV and I get just as much enjoyment out of that. We all learned to kind of watch races on you know on TV this year, um, and I get just as much enjoyment as that. But it would really be 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 uh, nice to go to uh, go to the track again and uh, and be there uh, hopefully for a winner.
0: Are you somebody that that cheers them down the lane when, when you're at home? You know, the, does the family all gather around and, and cheer with you?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of cheering. I'm a little probably more nervous during it during the actual race <laughs> itself, but I get excited and I think I've watched enough now to kind of to know when I have a chance, kind of halfway through the race to kind of get mm-hmm. that get that excitement and get the juices flowing. Um, But at the end of the day, you know, I I just hope they come back safe and, you know, there's, there's always kind of another, you know, another race, another thing. It's a progression, right? You got to be patient Mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm a very patient person and, you know, you need that more than anything in this business.
0: Yes, you do. It's definitely a humbling game as well. Well, Steve, I wish you the best of luck with all of the runners uh, that you recently purchased or that you're currently involved in. And I really look forward to getting to see you back at the track soon. And hopefully we get you into the winner's circle soon and you get a nice framed winner's circle picture um, that you're able to to be part of in person as well.
1: Thank you, Akash. It was great to be here today.
0: Pleased to be joined now by my friend, Rob Maciello, uh, an owner with a big week coming up with fire running on the Kentucky Oaks undercard. Rob, thanks for joining me today. And how are you feeling leading up to this big week?
2: I'm excited, Acacia. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, it's uh, obviously with the last year and stuff. I was just thinking about this today, but, um, you know, my parents are 75. I'm flying my dad out with me Thursday to the Derby. You know, you just think about all the stuff you went through the last year and, you know, to be in a position where we were obviously running in an undercard race on OSA, but just to be able to spend that time with my dad this weekend is going to be awesome. So I'm just, I'm really excited.
0: That's great. Cause the best part about racing and, and being in a big race is really, you know, celebrating it and sharing it with other people. So I'm really glad that, that you get to do that. That's absolutely something I think that we've all really missed this past year.
2: Yeah, it is, you know, um, and so since I was a kid, I've been going to the races with my parents, and, you know, I think that's something that um, I really missed out on last year. You know, my parents usually go up, they get uh, table A17 on the, on the porch every year in Saratoga, they're there religiously every weekend, so, you know, it's stuff like that that you, you know, I think 2020 really robbed us of is those moments, and, you mm-hmm. know, now we're all, you know, my parents are vaccinated, I'm vaccinated. it's, you know, we're going to be precautious and safe and everything, but you know, we got to live our lives again. And we're just, you know, I think we're really excited to get back to doing some of that stuff.
0: And the twin spires turf sprint on Friday for Faya, who has been so impressive. I mean, really since he broke his maiden at Laurel and a horse that you purchased, uh, through Wanamakers. Tell me a little bit about finding him and, and the process of buying him that online auction.
2: Yeah. You know, it was, uh, it was just one of those things that, um, you know, I, I loved his two races. I had seen, I guess, his allowance win in mm-hmm. July, and then I saw that he was going to be put up on that website. You know, I know Liza Hendricks a little bit because she used to work at Naira, and uh, I didn't know the Merryman's who bred and raised, and, and I, the son, I think, Michael, trains a, trained a mm-hmm. horse. Um, but I knew the reputation. So, I, you know, one of the things you always worry about a little bit, buying a horse uh, out of a race is – you know, just if there's something the owner knows that you don't know, or that you know, you they kind of got the best of the, the horse, and then you're you're kind of getting, you know, the downside of the horse's career. But obviously, with them, you know, again, I didn't know them at all, but I knew their reputation as just being wonderful horsemen. Um, you know, look for me, I, you know, I'm a person that you know I spend some real money at these sales, but I, I'm also not a guy that's spending with kind of the top owners, so. Mm-hmm you have to be a little bit creative. And I just thought, you know, the thing I said to my, my agent now, Joe Migliori, is like, look, this is a spot where I think some people are going to be anxious about buying a horse on a, on a, on a website. You know, that's a little bit of an edge for us that maybe keeps some of the big buyers away. Maybe, you know, someone that normally would be willing to to spend a lot of money on this horse might be a little bit shy about it because it's a different format. You have to go send a vet, you know, to Maryland and, and all that kind of stuff. So you know, it just felt like an opportunity for us to maybe take a little bit of advantage. And, you know, look, we paid good money for the horse. I think the horse sold for a very fair price. But, um, you know, just everything worked out. And then, you know, the biggest part is you got to get lucky. But, uh, you know, the mm-hmm. horse was just bred and raised the right way. And I think Tommy's done a great job of them since. So you know, it's been the big component to me.
0: It turns out it, it looks like it was a good buy for Shores. as he's uh, now three for three uh, with you. And as you mentioned, moved to the barn of Tom Albertrani, won that allowance at Belmont. And I, I thought it was really cool that you sent him back to the Maryland Million as well, in the turf sprint, um, which he won and just kind of going back to those Maryland bred roots. And I thought the way that he's been campaigned with that and the claiming crown, taking advantage of some of those big spots for what he was eligible for.
2: Yeah, you know, so that was one of the things um, that Joe and I talked about before the sale was like, all right, so we're gonna have to spend a lot of money, he's a turf sprinter, he's a gelding, you know, there's no kind of residual, obviously. The other side of that coin location, I think it was reflected in his campaign last year, he had all these conditions available on
3: these.
2: 2 mm-hmm. in Maryland, he was an open first level horse. And, you know, that Maryland bred and also he, he debuted for 25. So we knew uh we had the claiming crown race in december we knew we had a first level allowance for a lot of money either in saratoga or belmont and then right after we bought them like literally within a week uh the the folks at maryland million announced that they were going to bring back the the turf sprint, which had been on and off so just Mm -hmm. once that happened kind of like look that's sort of a that was sort of the, the the three races in my head um no, you know, then he ran huge in September. We did talk a little bit about the Breeders' Cup, but A, he mm-hmm. wasn't nominated, so it would have been, you know, 100000 to put up just to to be nominated for it. And then the other part of it was, you know, that's a race that always overfills, and I, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure it overfilled this year. So it just was going to be tough off of that race. I think it was September 20th. You know, we, we would have had to run one more time and then try to hope that we run well enough to get into the Breeders' Cup, and it just felt like, You do stuff like that, you know, of course you just run a minute six, like now you're going to wheel them back in two or three weeks to try to get to the Breeders' Cup. It's like, you know, that's just, I I feel like stuff like that more times than not, it doesn't work out. So we just Mm -hmm. up to the plan and, you know, it worked out great. And now we're, you know, I think we're locked and loaded for a big four-year-old year.
0: Yeah, and like you said, he's a gelding, so there there's no rush. You know, you can kind of take your time with him too, and I think that that's reflected in how he's been campaigned and taking those options for the Maryland Million and the Claiming Crown, and that's exciting. So now, getting ready to take on um the big boys, so to speak, in the Twin Spires Turf Sprint coming up on Friday. Uh, what's what's the mood like as he's getting ready to kick off his four year old season?
2: Uh, you know, the thing Joe and I keep saying to each other, we have a joke that the uh, the boys are buzzing right now. <laughs> it's like a big, like, uh, meme on tiktok or whatever so the boys are barking this horse's training lights out he's, you know he's, i really like the idea of and again getting back to our plan from last year really like the idea of getting him some experience and then giving him kind of that you know 45 to 60 days off just let him be a horse get a son on his back that horse is what tom albatroni in the past like twilight eclipse where that horse never left tom's barn he always got that 30 to 60 days of palmetto, you know, a a little bit, and, and that horse always came back, and, you know, always seemed to have better and better years as we got older, so that was sort of the plan, but he, you know, and he's just been, he's training awesome, I mean, it's a, you never know how these horses are going to handle this step up in class, um, you know, he's coming off a little bit of a layoff, but, you know, just couldn't be happier with how he's doing, and, you know, again, it's just, it's exciting, because when you look in at this division, you know the division leaders right now are are seven and eight years old,
3: mm-hmm.
2: or or extravagant kid, or uh, bound for nowhere. You know some of the others, which I think just shows that if you if you treat these horses the right way as three and four year olds and you do the right thing by them, you know you really have a shot to be in this division for for many years. So that's you know really exciting. But we couldn't be more excited about
3: uh, Friday and getting the campaign kicked off.
0: Yeah, I, I love hearing that. I mean, I. I... I am a fan of turf sprints. I know for some handicappers, uh, it's like a nightmare uh, to, to cover h- turf sprints. But I just think that horses that are turf sprints, like like you said, they really take care of themselves. I mean, I always think back like a horse like Pure Sensation. who raced till he was nine, which is amazing and, and was sound and, and extravagant kid winning in Dubai as an eight-year-old. It makes it fun to kind of have that longevity. And I think that's something we see a lot of the times in racing in general is that there's so much eagerness to kind of run off to the breeding shed and maybe there isn't that much marketability for turf sprinters to do that, but we get to enjoy them on the racetrack a little bit longer because of that.
2: Yeah, they do seem to, you know, the the right ones do seem to stay sound Um, Mm -hmm. and they're fun horses. And that was sort of a thing for me was, you know, again, going back to, I bought this horse in July of 2020. So it was kind of right in the thick of COVID. And I Mm
3: -hmm. was
2: thinking to myself, you know if we do the right thing by him as a three-year-old and you still gotta get lucky horses can get hurt if you know mm-hmm. as it doesn't matter what you do but um if we do the right things by him this year you know as things start to open up and we start to you know get back to the track and go to Saratoga and all those kind of things we we'll go to the Breeders' Cup you know we're gonna have that fun for the next few years and that's you know I'm in this ultimately to have fun to share it with my friends and family so that 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 was a big big component of how we managed our horse last year
0: you mentioned twilight eclipse with tom albertrani and and that was a horse um that you were part of with west point thoroughbreds which was kind of how you got involved in racing from that syndicate side of things tell me a little bit about what first brought you into horse racing i know you were very young when you first got involved
2: yeah you know so i called terry um i was in college i'd heard an advertisement um listening to the radio uh so i gave him a call i was like a I was going into my senior year in college and I'm sorry, I sent him an email just being like, Hey, I'm in college, I don't have any money, but I'm <laughs> interested in horse racing. Just like tell me about your business a little bit. And within five minutes, he called me back and we had like an hour long conversation. I was just a fan of horse racing. I I didn't come from horse mm-hmm. racing. I used to go to Saratoga with my parents when I was, you know, a kid. But other than that, and mom at park a little bit, but I didn't know anything about racing really, other than just being a fan. And uh, yeah, Terry, I love him. He's been a mentor to me. I've had horses at West Point since 2005, 2006. It was a few years after I got out of college and started making a little bit of money. And um, I started as a very, very small partner with him. Um, and Terry's just—I talk to Terry every day. He's, I, I can't say enough about him. I just—I think especially in the last year. Uh, I served on him with the night, in the ninth of board, the Thoroughbred Horseman's Board in New York, and you know he's just a leader in every sense of the word. Um, he loves the game, and he loves people, and I think that's the thing that shines through with him that that um, he's just so friendly, and he and he loves talking to people about the sport and about what their interest is, and he always has a smile on his face. And it's just um, it's been a wonderful experience, and then I I think from my perspective, the cool thing about being at a syndicate like West Point is that you own a couple horses, but you get to see what a stable of 60 horses looks like.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so if you're doing things the right way, and I always had in the back of my head that I would like to try to do stuff on my own at some point, you really get the experience of kind of all the ebbs and flows of, of what managing a big stable looks like. And I think you get that experience of kind of what to expect, the things that can go wrong. You know, my first really good horse was a filly by the name of Just Whistle Dixie. And she was a superstar. She banged out all the all our three-year-old races down at Gulfstream Park and then we go to the Oaks and two o'clock in the afternoon we get the announcement that she's uh scratching out of the race and well you get that side of it too yeah happened to be the year that Rachel Alexandra was running so right we might have won I'm gonna go (laughs) out and say we probably wouldn't have beat Rachel (laughs) one second, but um so anyway you get all those experiences and I think it Kind of prepares you for for what you would expect as an owner, but uh, it's been awesome experiences with them. I really, you know, like I said, Terry's like a brother to me, and really happy with that experience.
0: Yeah, Terry Finley from West Point Thoroughbreds, and and does a, a great operation as far as especially bringing people into the game and kind of seeing you. Pass it, pay it forward so to speak and in, in what you've been doing and obviously now you are more based just uh, primarily in new york as far as concentrating on your own runners um but really kind of I, I think with the partnerships that you've had with the empire racing club and in doing what you can to bring people into the sport as well which is great and, and that really is the biggest thing about racing is being able to share that with other people
2: yeah, so actually in my capacity with Nitha, we started the Empire Racing Club, mm-hmm. which is, um, you know, it's very low cost and you get in and you're basically a part of the club. And and that um, idea really came from the Churchill Downs uh, Racing Club. That they had. And so I was on a call a few years ago with uh, Mike Ziegler and, and some other people. And I was, I can't tell you, Keisha, how blown away I was by the numbers that they were doing. Now, they had that very good, I forget his name, that printer that they had. Yes um that won the stake out of keeneland a few years ago. he won in Saratoga too I can't remember his name, but they were talking about the number of people they got could, that were doing you know a couple hundred dollars to be in this racing club that were then going on to either claim a horse, join a syndicate, you know go to an auction and buy a horse, buy a broodmare mare so it made me realize and and it was certainly my experience too that um you know, there are some barriers to entry. There are a lot of fans in the sport that are, I think somewhat interested in ownership, but they don't necessarily know how to do that. And it's a pretty, you know, it's a pretty intimidating process. I would say Mm -hmm. that that's sort of the genesis of this is, is we want to get people into the game, show them a great experience, introduce them to trainers. We want to especially introduce them to trainers that have small, you know, smaller strings of horses, um, you know and just try to get that going and then hopefully be a resource to them on the other side if they want to go out on their own and either whether it's join a west point or claim a horse or go buy a a new york bread you know whatever it is um we want to be a resource for that so that that's sort of the idea but it's like you said it's all about getting these people into the game Mm -hmm. and, and and the other thing too i'd say is like even if you're just in it to be a fan i think doing that side of it you you learn so much more and i think it makes you more engaged in the sport when you kind of understand all the decisions that are made and like why did this horse have six months off why is,
0: mm-hmm.
3: why is
2: running in this spot all that kind of stuff so
0: yeah, so many things that go into it and so many things that can go wrong before getting to the starting gate or even when the starting gate opens as well. There's many more things that can go wrong versus what can go right as far as horse racing is concerned. And you mentioned your your position um, as an owner uh, on the board of NIFA, um, being involved in the New York Circuit. You're also on the board of the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation as well. Tell me a little bit about why that's important to you to be so much more involved kind of in, in, in those positions in this sport that you started out as a fan in and and now have become really entrenched in,
2: you know, I think, um, I I remember being on calls a year ago uh, talking about what we were going to do if people couldn't show up to the bar anymore because of COVID, you know? Mm -hmm. And when you see the, the way that, and I'll speak to the New York, um people because that's that's who i mm-hmm. you know dealt with but when you see the backstretch employees and the grooms and the, and the trainers and assistant trainers and you know what what they did in march and april last year i don't think you can put into words honestly and yeah. it's true of so many of the essential workers in our in our country but um you know when you see what they did i i think it's it's your obligation if you're going to be a part of this game to give something back so You know, I I think that's, you know, sort of where I'm I'm at. And it's something I'm, you know, I'm really happy to be a part of and want to keep contributing to.
0: We talked a little bit about. Uh, Fire coming up, starting with the syndicate. Let's talk a little bit about the sales as well. And, um, you've mentioned a few times already, Joe Migliori and your relationship with him. Joe's been on the show and, and talking about his new bloodstock venture. And, um, I also got a chance to speak to Steven Rocco, who, um, I know you partnered up with on a nice frosted filly that Joe signed the ticket for at the OBS April two-year-old sale. Tell me a little bit about her and, and kind of, uh, how active you've been at the sales this year, as far as, um, some new purchases and adding to the roster.
2: Yeah. So worked out really well. Um, you know, Joe had been, I, I wasn't at the sale this year, uh, but Joe had been messaging me and I know that he really liked that horse along with, uh, Miguel Clement. Um, you know, they were both very high in the Philly. Um, and you know, Stevens, uh, I, I don't really know him too well, but I know that He's obviously had horses with, uh, Christophe Clamont and, um, you know, Joe speaks very highly of him. So we, we've gotten to know each other a little bit and it just sort of worked out. We knew the Philly was probably going to bring, um, some pretty serious money, which he did. Uh, I really like Frosted. I'm, I'm bullish on him as a sire. I think he's really done well this year. You know, he's obviously, you know, going to be pretty alive this weekend. Um, you know, I like taking little shots on stallions like this where they're kind of into their first crop three-year-old year where, you know, if he kind of hits, you're you're in a good spot, um, you know, and I think he is going to hit and continue to do well into the summer. So, just sort of worked out well. I've been pretty quick. This is actually the only two-year-old I've bought. I've sort of
3: mm-hmm.
2: been focusing more uh, on yearlings. I bought four or five yearlings this year, and I'm you know this this two-year-old and then i'll probably get maybe one more two-year-old to send to uh Tom the and that'll be it um but yeah you know really so what i'm trying to do the last couple of years um kind of ironic to say this because i'm uh, you know i'm on because of fire but mm-hmm. I'm trying to focus a little bit more on buying um you know fillies with a little bit of pedigree mm-hmm. trying to go that route just to have a little bit of residual value and then maybe potentially build a little bit of a broomer van band on the back end and, Kind of work things out that way but you know the fire thing was again it was kind of a special situation i want to be open to those things and you know again i like the fact that you had all those conditions available to them to kind of you know have a little bit of a backstop but um yeah you know just really looking at, at phillies you know like the frosted philly she's out of a not for love marathon mm. so a little bit of pedigree and of course maryland connections with the not for love which I, I went yeah to maryland. i'm a hopkins guy so spent a lot of time with him uh yeah, so just uh, really excited about that filly. Looking forward to getting her up to uh, Oklahoma in a few weeks.
0: And you mentioned getting some fillies and, and maybe getting a little bit of a broodmare band together. Tell me some of the things that you look for. Obviously, pedigree a big part of it. Um, One of the things that's been a bit of a theme on this show is kind of some of the things that you can't live without and then some of the things that you can say, okay, we can make a little bit of an exception because this, that, the other thing is not there or not as much as we'd like to be. So being involved for as many years as you have now, as far as buying horses, what are some of the do's and don'ts for you as far as pedigree, physical things that you must have when? Looking to add a horse to your stable or potential broodmare band down the road?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and I've heard you ask other people that. I guess, from, <laughs> uh, especially on the yearling side, you know, I want, now that I'm kind of thinking more in terms of buying fillies with some residual and, and some page, you know, pedigree, certainly, you know, to some extent, um, you know, with fillies, I want a little bit of size and scope. I would say mm-hmm. because I think it's you know if you if you end up with a smaller type filly, it's just a, it's it's a longer road I think, and you know um, so I, those are kind of the big things. Now, in a two-year-old sale, you know, and certainly like I mean, I ended up kind of going with a little bit more page, a little bit you know, more of a queen type filly. But, you know, if I were to buy a a colt at at the sale, it would be more about the athlete. And then I wouldn't, Mm -hmm. and I did bid on a couple of those type of horses and just got outbid. But, you know, for that, I'm just really looking for more an athlete. I like a good, strong shoulder line, kind of neck in the shoulder, that kind of stuff. And I'm always a sucker for a big, you know, pretty walk. I think that's, uh, you know, a lot of it not, you know, and I, again, I I think you hear different people. One person I have a great deal of respect for is Liz Crow, who I think is,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, bar none, one of the best bloodstock agents in the country. And I think she's a little bit less into the walk if they have some other things, which I yeah. know, completely respect. And I've, I've learned from her about that. But I'm just, I'm a sucker for a big, sexy walk. Like I just,
3: I, I'm always just always going to be a fan <laughs> of that. So.
0: That strut, so to speak. Yes. but. Yeah, it's interesting and and I have asked that question to other people before because I I find it fascinating that while there's many things that are the same, some people are a little bit more focused in on one thing versus another and and I think it's different. And I I think that that makes it interesting as far as looking at the sales because you will see different people bidding on other horses. And I think you've uh, mentioned bidding on horses that you get outbid for. I think we've seen both ends of the spectrum where you're looking at a horse that you like and you're like, why is nobody else bidding on this horse? Did I get this wrong? And then you think a horse that may be a value play and everybody ends up on that one and he ends up going for 600000 or way more than you anticipated.
2: Yeah, it's a that's the fun of the the free market, right? I will say one thing. I was thinking to myself, and this is how stupid I am. I, you know, <laughs> every after every sale, the you know, like I got outbid on four or five horses, and I'll always mm-hmm. say to myself, "Man, they overpaid, that's ridiculous. They overpaid." And then I like, and I knew this foster filly was going to cost money, and she did. And we kind of went to sort of the high end of what we were going to bid. And after the sale, I'm like, "Yeah, I bought the right horse." But like, who knows? You know, like it might have been. <laughs> like five other people did the same thing and in my right. head, I'm like, Oh, they they're crazy. They did way too much for that. Work. And then I do the same thing. Yeah. You know. But I mean, look, I, one of the things I think is interesting, Acacia is like trying to navigate, you know, for someone like me, where I, you know, I'm going to buy, let's say half a dozen, you know, horses in a year at auction, let's say mm-hmm. six, seven, eight, whatever. It's a pretty small sample size. So like, mm-hmm. and I'm always thinking to myself, you know like did i did I just get lucky, or did I just get unlucky, or is what I'm doing right and I, that's a tricky thing, you know because mm-hmm. you might buy a horse that ends up working out really well, but like it was more luck than kind of what you were doing right, and then vice versa, you might buy a horse that you know kind of everything you did was right and and you know whatever a horse got hurt or something mm-hmm. happened so it's a really tough thing when you're not you know especially in this game. If you're not buying a ton of horses, we're trying to figure out that small sample size component.
0: Well, you've had some big success so far. Wishing you even more success with this Frosted Philly and, of course, with FIA coming up this week. We'll be cheering for you guys and um, hope to see you in Saratoga at the very least or, or maybe before that at Belmont.
2: Sounds good. I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks for having me, Keisha.
0: Best of luck, Rob. Thanks. And that will do it for another episode of In the Ring with Acacia Courtney. Thank you so much, as always, to my incredible guests, um, of course, with Rob having Faya coming up this week. Hope that you can tune in and cheer for him and, and follow the purchases that we talked about for both Rob and Steve. And if you're, you are interested in getting involved in ownership in a small way, would definitely recommend looking at a syndicate option to get a little bit of a taste of what it's like. Um, loved hearing the, the viewpoints of both of those guys, um, who are a lot of fun, uh, at the racetrack and really enjoying their involvement in the game now, which is so wonderful. And what it's all about at the end of the day. So uh, again, be talking more this week about the Kentucky Oaks and the Kentucky Derby itself. Uh, as I'm recording this on Monday, the Kentucky Oaks draw just took place. Tomorrow, Tuesday will be the Kentucky Derby draw. And we'll get a chance to see those post positions for all of the runners in that Kentucky Derby. And it's crazy to think about Last year, how we were actually at Saratoga in the first Saturday in September. I remember watching it in the parking lot of Saratoga to watch the Kentucky Derby afterwards. And and of course, uh, cheering and, and screaming, but it just was not really quite the same. Now, back to the first Saturday in May, a lot of excitement for it. I want to remind everybody to, um, if you're listening to this again, please share it. Check out some of the other in the money media podcasts that we do offer too. There's lots of handicapping as far as Kentucky Derby and Kentucky Oaks does go pete fornitao and jonathan kinchin uh, have put together a tremendous program and went through all of the runners and a lot of other stuff that's coming up this week uh, make sure you check out the in the money media newsletter and subscribe to that there's always some great action in there everything kind of compiled in one spot so head on over to the website take a look um, subscribe and check out some of the other great podcasts offered on there as well for now That'll do it for another episode of In the Ring with Acacia Courtney, and I'll see you next time.